Welcome, welcome, welcome to Real Job Talk, the podcast with practical advice for mid-career professionals. Hey, Liz. Hi, Kat. And hi, Kat. So we're so excited to welcome back one of our favorite guests speaker, advocate, job description fixer, Kat Troyer's name and birthday twin, and now real hold-in-your-hand book author extraordinaire, Kat Kibben. Kat is joining us to talk about their book, their journey, and to talk about inclusivity in the workplace. They have published their first book, This Was All an Accident, which you can buy on Amazon. Welcome back, Kat. Please remind our audience about yourself. Hi there. So... That was a very kind introduction. I got a little chill. Like, <laughs> so I I'm really happy to be here. I my name is Kat Kibben. My pronouns are they them. I run a company called Three Ears Media. It's named after two dogs with four ears. But I think I've told that story on another episode of this podcast <laughs> because my hosts are such gracious hosts that invite me back when big things are happening in my life and work. So thank you both for having me. Uh, I show up to talk about job postings, about pronouns, and at work and everywhere else in the world. (laughs) And now I'm talking about my book. And we are so excited to have you here to talk about your book and just to have you back as a guest on our show. Um, So you write these weekly letters that both Liz and I enjoy reading to your followers. You write these letters and your book seems to be an extension of those letters. we want to ask, we want to start by asking a little bit about what was your why behind writing the book? Yeah. You know, it's funny. When I first started writing the letters, it was one of those like links of articles to read. And it was super <laughs> promotional and marketing y. And I eventually I just hated it so much that I stopped. Mm-hmm. And I decided I would write about what was really happening in my life. And what's been really beautiful about that is because work is about people, ultimately, when you peel back all the layers, it's just a bunch of people trying to coexist with great ideas. Mm -hmm. People really started to connect with them and Mm -hmm. feel like they got to have someone help explain their feelings and bring them Mm -hmm. along. And that's the kind of stuff that I love in books. That's what I love more than anything. And so mm-hmm. I decided instead of writing a book about work, which everyone told me to do, I had written all these ebooks, right? I was happy with that. That was a format that I feel works for work. But I wanted to write a book about life because mm-hmm. who we are and how we show up every single day at work matters. And these stories, I think, are lessons and a little bit of guidance for people who might feel stuck at work or in some other part of their life. Yeah. Well, you you started with vulnerability. Like you started the letters as your marketing self of like, hey, I am a marketing expert with three years media and I will show you how to market. And then you're like, well, actually, I'm Kat. Exactly. And here's some marketing tips sprinkled in because it is part of who you are. Yeah, well, what you do. Every day I was writing the story of work. Mm -hmm. And at some point I wanted to write my story too. And now it's my favorite thing to do every week. And so I, I, you know, I plan out my editorial calendar for the blogs that come out on Tuesday because I really try to give well-researched advice where I have sought out experts mm-hmm. and my own ideas and kind of come up with a thought that I think can help people for free. I do that every Tuesday. But on Friday, and I plan those out, they're probably six weeks planned out ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But those letters on Friday, I start fresh every Monday. And something happens in my real life and I yeah. write about it. Yeah. And it's really beautiful how I feel like so many people will say like, it's like you wrote 
at, right out of my head or you pulled that right out of my heart. And yeah. I didn't even know I was feeling it, but that's exactly what I'm going through right now. And that is a really beautiful thing. If you can yeah. think about like marketing air quotes, um, it it's nothing, it's not marketing at all. It's just a bunch of people connecting over what it feels like to people in today's world. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's a diary because that sounds hokey, but like it's what's on your mind. It's a, it's an outlet of expression of real world. Yep. And they're fabulous. Um, Thank you. A couple of the things that we noticed in the book, acceptance, authenticity, and, and so many people struggle with that, especially the piece of, you know, how do I, how do I present my work self versus my personal self? And you do a really great job of just showing up as cat, right? Which, and all of that is encompassed, right? So mm-hmm. do you have any advice for our listeners who may be struggling with some areas of acceptance with themselves or just showing up as authentic as they can? Yeah. I think when you're learning about how to accept yourself, The first thing you need to do is recognize if you are allowing yourself to feel joy, Hmm. to just be happy and do the things that make you happy because accepting yourself isn't going through every little corner of your brain and being like, this is good. This is good. This is bad. So we're going to work on this and create a to-do list, which is how I treated the first half of my life. Mm -hmm. But I think what I found is that Truly, to learn how to accept myself, I had to recognize the moments when I felt really, really good and Mm -hmm. I was loving my life and to recognize the trends, the things I had in common when that was happening. And what I ended up doing is I actually took my journal and on the very first page that you would typically, you would write nothing on, right? I made a list every time I figured out something that I was always doing when I was happy. Mm. It was things like being outside. I was eating well, so I wasn't feeling sick, right? I And I know that sounds corny, but it's just like the littlest things that made me feel good. And I read it every single morning. Mm-hmm. It was the very first thing I did was I read that list because when shit went wrong, because it always goes wrong, mm-hmm. I went back to the list. Like, <laughs> this is the thing I can do to be happy. Mm-hmm. This is the thing to be, And that helped me build acceptance because it allowed me to just lean into what was really, really good for me. And to I recognize- that's uniquely good for me. Uh-huh. Well, and it's funny. It's like paying attention when you feel joy. And I think, you know, and Kat Troyer and I have talked a lot about like energy suckers versus energy builders. And we've had conversations about like in your workday, what makes, you know, what calls do you get off and you're like, coffee. and the others of what do you, you know, come off and like, Oh, coffee. Like, and you, you, you listen to your body and you listen to your mind and like what sucks your soul or what elevates your soul. And you just did that, not just with your work calendar or whatever, but like with your life, like, whoa, it's just outside looking at the beautiful view and I feel awesome. Or, you know, I was just in a basement with no light and stale air and I feel terrible. Exactly. But I think that for, that is the first step to being mm-hmm. able to create workplaces and like places where you can exist safely because you need that safety net of not mm-hmm. believing that everyone else being happy with you is the ultimate goal because no. it's not. It never was, right? Right. It's like you be happy. 
the only person we have control over is ourselves. And that is often debatable too. But I mean, if we are going to impact our own happiness, that's that's where we can begin. And yeah, maybe we'll probably spread a little more cheer, right? I know when I'm mm-hmm. when I'm up and happy, people feel it. Yeah. But I think that having having the focus on, hey, wait a minute, let me just take care of myself here as opposed to worrying about everyone else is probably a good focus to have, right? And yeah, I think people who are socialized as women. Mm-hmm. That is something that you must learn in your 30s or you your body will take mm-hmm. the toll. A hundred percent. And I think I was starting to feel that toll before I took this trip. Mm-hmm. I think there might even be more of that growing up in the South like you did. Yes. The importance of showing kindness and bless your heart. I think it's a, it's, it's even more ingrained in the South. Being polite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Being mm-hmm. happy. Big smile. Mm-hmm. I'm great. Right. Well, and add in the layer of military family right. where I think that was almost a dimension of respect. Mm-hmm. And so now you have some really weird things to unwind in therapy in your 30s about how kindness mm-hmm. and being agreeable with everyone are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that respect and agree- being agreeable are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some trends in this book that mm-hmm. I, you you kind of learn that it was hard for me to break rules when it came yes. to how I treated everyone else. But most of those rules I made up and they were making me miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's that sense of self, right? In my own journey as a working mother, a lot of times my husband used to travel all the time. So a lot of times I was a single working mother and, oh, but I need to bring cookies and they need to be homemade. No, they don't. First of all, if I can't bring cookies, someone else can. Like, I wouldn't sign up and then not do it. But, like, don't sign up. Mm -hmm. Second of all, those cookies can be store-bought. And that's easier. Like, you don't have to spend your whole Sunday making cookies when you could go down the street and buy them for $15. Oh, yes. But the good mom can still buy cookies. Mm-hmm. It's okay. There's all of that of our ideal of what it should be. That word should should be outlawed mm-hmm. because the only should should be what we're bringing and what we're doing versus like what the world thinks we should be doing. Like who cares? Like how we show up, but we have to show up for ourselves first. And I do think you learn that in your 30s. I would say early 40s as well. Some some of us take longer. But (laughs) once we learn the boundaries, and I like I believe this book is a lot about boundaries and redefining those checklists and what should be. So, you know, you decided to live in your van for the year. And in doing so, you rewrote the narrative of what a CEO or work working person looks like, business owner. And so I want to hear a little bit more about this process and like how you advise approaching work in today's modern world. Can a CEO live in a van? Can a CEO work four days a week? Like, how did you use this to redefine your world of work successfully? Yeah. Well, almost instantly, you have to adapt the schedule because it just doesn't work, right? right. Think about the time you have to check out of a hotel. That's the same yeah. as a campground. Mm-hmm. Then you time to transition to the next place, which often isn't next door. Right. It's an actual commute, much like if you had to go to the airport, get on a plane, mm-hmm. and go somewhere. There's a significant amount of time mm-hmm. blocked. And so mm-hmm. there was a lot of pushing the rules that I thought existed around work yeah. right out of the gate. We also had to, you know, adapt quickly because I went into it thinking, oh, I'll just live in the van all the time. And that wasn't realistic when I'm hosting webinars Mm -hmm. and I really need reliable Wi-Fi because, you know, your hotspot works great on a sunny day. 
I will never forget sitting in Colorado. I had a full day of calls and I was in very Southern Colorado. So mm-hmm. just above the New Mexico, Colorado border, about an hour North of that beautiful community. It's called Trinidad. And I'm sitting on a lake. It is stunning. Mm-hmm. And I'm the only person there. And I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> this is Colorado. Like there's always people just everywhere outside. You can't go anywhere and not see people. Yeah. And all of a sudden it goes apocalypse on me. It goes from beautiful day to absolutely smoke filled. I can't see. I can't see the pebbles on the ground outside of the door. Oh, how scary. And your Wi-Fi doesn't work in smoke. So I'm trying to like take calls while I can't breathe. The air quality is changing drastically. And I'm sitting there trying to push myself through a sales call. I can tell you, never once again did I do that. Mm. Did I think I needed to finish the call and finish my day of calls because it literally was like, impacted my health. It impacted Mm -hmm. my ability to get to my next place, all of this. And so I truly tested flex work. And again, that was one of those areas where I had to figure out what felt really good to me, which meant that I got to stay in some really cool Airbnbs while I traveled. And Mm -hmm. I just made it part of the package with my clients. So it was covered every time for a couple of days built it in, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. this constant evolution. But I think the idea was the more that I was just open to going with the flow, the happier I was going to be. I can tell you those first couple of weeks, they sucked. (laughs) They sucked Mm -hmm. so much because every morning I'm like trying to get on my Wi-Fi at 930 and it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Life stood in the way. So you really had to iterate and define as you went. It was like almost rapid product development kind of thing. Like you redeveloped cat on the road product. Well, then I had to figure out how to work with other people because I have a team. Right. And we need to deliver things to clients on time. Yeah. In ways where in the past I was super flexible because I could work on a Sunday and it wouldn't matter. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I never knew what my next day would look like. And so I had to get really good at communicating my expectations, Mm -hmm. setting specific timelines and holding people accountable too, which was something that I was oopsie goosey about before. Mm. I'm now thinking from a team perspective. Pers- you know, someone who works for you perspective, you're like, Hey, everybody, just a little news. I'm going on the road. I'm going to live in a van. I won't, you know, like all this. And all of a sudden their lives kind of, yeah. their sense of the manager role gets put into flux because all of a sudden you're <laughs> living in a van. Yeah. Your schedule is completely different. You're dealing with different reliability. Like How did you manage down as well as how did they manage up in order to really transition the entire team? And did your whole team survive the change? No. Good questions. They didn't. So two thirds of the team survived the change. And I think managing down, Mm -hmm. it really came to these are the timelines. They have to be really strict, explaining the consequences of Mm -hmm. when we don't hit this, then this person has to work on Saturday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and explaining all of the like trickle down consequences of it. Yeah. And refining our setup. So it meant bringing in people who had more expertise when it came to project management. Mm-hmm. and being able to manage a lot of things at once and knowing what was a priority and what wasn't. And that takes mm-hmm. work experience, right? For sure. To be able to sort a list quickly. As far as my team managing up, I love them. These people have been with me forever. Mm-hmm. They always joke whenever I take a vacation that I'm going to come back and be like, we're starting a floral shop or like, I'm going to just <laughs> do something completely wild. 
Um, so I think they were okay with the van. Like they're like, okay, it makes sense. They were also there to remind me and take care of all the details that probably would have held me up had it just been me. So they did an incredible job of stepping in and being like, no, you're not doing this. Let me give an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, male. Like I don't have a close relationship with my parents or other family members. The only family member I'm very close with is my aunt and she's she moves and all this. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I didn't have a place to take mail, to get mail. That's a big deal. Uh-huh. And you because you can't have a credit card. Right. Yeah. You have to have a billing address, a physical billing address, and it can't be a mailbox, right? Mm-hmm. It can't be a PO box. It can't be a digital mailbox. And so my team took care of all of that. They were like, okay, you're going to use this address. It's mine. We'll take care of you. I'll scan all your mail. And then we're going to get an online mailbox to take care of the business. We're going to do this. They check the virtual mailbox. They get things forwarded to them. They get checks Mm -hmm. forwarded to them. When we have that one client who insists on writing a check in 2023, (laughs) you know, like all of that stuff. So they did an incredible job of stepping in when I felt like I was getting stuck Mm. specifically on the business stuff because it gave me more bandwidth to focus on all the things I was getting stuck with in the logistics of like living 80 square feet on wheels. Let's go. Yeah, (laughs) I'm stuck in the mud. Literally. like Literally. Oh, I'm halfway down an ATV road Mm -hmm. and I can't turn around. Now what? I've done all of these things in a very short period of time. That chapter made me so nervous. Having to back out that whole way. Woo! Yeah. I'm a professional. I can drive that van like a moped. <laughs> I was like, they are going to do a thousand point turn. That's the only way to get out is the thousand <laughs> point turn. They're going to be going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it's going to take a half hour and they're going to be sweating. So much sweat. But no, you backed it out. Oh, we tried. We cut down trees. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have an axe in my van now because of that day. See? My friend who it's his fault and he will admit that until the end. Um, He gave me an ax after that. Like just, just in case you might, you might need this. You can have this. And I bet you never thought you needed an ax when you were doing your initial packing. (laughs) So I'm preparing for a second van life that I will not be writing a book about. (laughs) And I, it was unpacking everything. So took every single thing out of the van and actually just laid it out and a lot of things are getting out of the van. A lot, a lot, a lot. <laughs> I can't tell you. There are so many things that I was sure I was going to need, did not need at all. Mm-hmm. Right. And there were so many things you had to buy, like an axe, because you would not have thought you would have needed it. Oh, but yeah, isn't right. that life? Yep. Like, yep. it's such a metaphor for life. I mean, mm-hmm. I've literally sat in more hardware stores doing projects in the parking lot because I didn't want to mess it up when I got back. Right. And I didn't want to have bad parts. So I just sit in parking lots doing projects. Believe me, I've learned a lot about random tools. <laughs> well, Kat, I just want to tell you that you inspired us, my husband and I. Uh, we did a, uh, we rented a really nice van this summer and went down to Southern California. And it was a huge learning opportunity. Just in the the eight days, so much of the stuff that I packed, we didn't use. <laughs> and also we needed duct tape for a, an incident that <laughs> happened with an awning that needed to retract and needed to be taped in order to retract. You know, the, the learnings that we had in one week, I can just imagine, you know, times that by 52 and I, you know, you probably need less than you think you need, but there are certain things that you won't, that you absolutely need that you wouldn't expect to. Yes. Share. 
100%. So thank you for that inspiration. It was it was a little too much because I overachieved and made it a business trip. And there were some personal connections there too. So came back exhausted. It is exhausting. That was a huge learning opportunity, but you're inspiring people to go on adventures. I love it. I want to talk about vulnerability. I can imagine that writing this book probably brought up some of that for you. I don't want to project onto <laughs> you, but Maybe you could speak to what part of the book felt most vulnerable yeah. and, and also maybe speak a little bit to vulnerability in both business and in the workplace. How do you navigate that? I just got a little teary because I'm going to tell you the truth and it feels a little too personal, but I, I feel like it's okay. And I recently reconnected with my dad for the first time since I was two years old. Wow. Oh, wow. When I was two, my parents divorced. I met him once when I was 16 and we did not speak otherwise. Okay. So to give you context, I'll be 38 next week. And I recently reconnected with him and he and I have a lot in common. Mm -hmm. He's a reader, he's a writer. And I think the most vulnerable part was the day when he messaged me and said, I bought a copy of your book Mm -hmm. and realizing that this person who I've had many thoughts and many ranges of emotions about throughout a very long life and a lack of relationship was about to learn a lot about me. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to write a letter about being trans and to send it out into the ether and not, not to see any of those faces or have an interaction, but to think like, oh, wait, I'm coming out to this person who I'm just now navigating a relationship. And so I think that was kind of the ultimate vulnerability of realizing that this book as much as I hope it reaches many hands that I never speak to, that I never talk to, right? I think that would be so cool for like Mm -hmm. teenagers to read this or people to just get the lessons before I did because I think it could have saved me a lot of headaches. Yeah. But to realize that my family and my friends who are not connected to my work in the way that a lot of other people are, that they were about to experience things about me that they may have not understood up to this point. And they're going to hear it in the way where I could say it the most honestly, because mm-hmm. I would never thought of them reading it. Right. But in a way it allows you to show up to those conversations with your dad. Super authentic. Cause like you read the book. It's <laughs> super easy to hide. Right. Right. Because if somebody misgenders you constantly, it's really easy to just be like, mm, fuck it. like I don't, You know, like, I'm not correcting you, whatever. Like, I'm just navigating this now. I'll I'll worry about it later. I think that's Mm -hmm. my tendency is to just be like, I'll worry about it later. Like, we'll talk about it if we need to. Yeah. And I think that plays out at work too, right? That realization that often when I start a business relationship, they are longtime readers. You know, they Mm -hmm. own things. They, we're connected in a way that I am not quite connected to them, but they are very much connected to me. Right. It's just interesting navigating, I think. I don't know what we're, even what adjective to use to describe it. Yeah. Vulnerability is so interesting to navigate, especially in a life that where it's so blended, right? Where that, Mm -hmm. like my personal Mm -hmm. experience and my work experience, there's Mm -hmm. just a, constant overlap because I always have to show up as me. Right. Well, because you've done all of this exploration and blogging and and sharing in your work life and you've tied it into your work and you've 
the authenticity of the offerings that you have now are so seamless. But then you're talking to us. We know a lot more about you than you know about us, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're not as out there with our foibles. Right. You're not reading our weekly letter every (laughs) every week because, you know, I'm I'm not writing one and I don't think you are either, right? You want to write it for me? I, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I don't even want to go there, but like, So does that feel really vulnerable? Like knowing that your audiences or your clients, they know you better than you know them. Like you're not starting on even even ground of like, we'll both figure each other out. Like they've got a leg up almost. You know, I don't know if I feel like they have a leg up, but I feel, I think I feel actually a little more comfortable than I do when we Mm. are at zero. And maybe that's an advantage for me ultimately, even if I feel a smidge awkward, just because I'm like, yeah. Like, especially I'll get on calls and people will be like, people will be like, I'm such a big fan. I read all your stuff. And like, I have this moment of being like, oh, I don't know what to say. I don't take compliments well in any part of my life. So I think it's more that I just don't take compliments. I remember my very first big speaking gig, like 300 people in the room. And all these people are like, that was so good. That was so good. And I'm like, ugh. And you know the you know the easiest response, right? Thank you. No joke. My friend Dawn, Dawn Burke, lovely human, grabs me, looks me dead in the eye and goes, you're going to say, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And then you're going to walk away. She's like, it is painful watching you right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's hard, especially when it's all coming at you. But also, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, because you're, you're so you know, you're so public with your story and and you write these, all of these things, they know when they're meeting you who they're meeting and your story. So you don't have to come out every day or, or they already like you. They already like you. Exactly. Which see is what you get peeps. And, and so that might, is that helpful? Yeah. And I think because I grew up as an army brat, I'm very used to interacting with Mm -hmm. people who know nothing about me. And so that Mm -hmm. like warm welcome, I'm like, oh, this is easy. Okay, great. We got this. (laughs) Cool. Speaking of that coming out, like you've come out multiple times and in many ways throughout your life and throughout your business journey, but you keep some things private and you say like, I'm not talking about this, which is of course a boundary and you're right a hundred thousand percent, but you really do it beautifully. And like as a public figure and an educator and advocate, how do you decide? Like, what's your share, not share? Is it just kind of like, I don't feel like sharing that? Or is is there more to it? Like, how do you create your boundaries for what feels comfortable for you? Because I think that can be really helpful as people navigate the workplace or their lives in general of what they share. You know, funny enough, my therapist used to read my letter. And one of the things she said to me is that I do a really beautiful job of navigating hard things, but in a way that I never worry about you. Right. Like you're talking about hard things, but at no point am I like, oh, cats, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? When you're looking at someone's and you're like, oh, you can just take a deep breath before you hit post on that. And you did it anyway. But she's, you do, how do you think about it? And my answer, and I still try to hold to this, is I don't write things that I'm not whole on. I don't write about anything that mm-hmm. I am not certain of, that I am not questioning, mm-hmm. that I, am not 100% me versus me certain about in my life. And if it's not in that wholeness, I don't do it. Mm -hmm. I won't write about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like the other day, someone asked me if I was going to change my name. 
And I was so caught off mm. guard because that's so private to me. And I would never yeah. ask someone, mm. especially someone that I just yeah. met, like cold. I mean, mm-hmm. never met them before. Okay. And they immediately, like within the first three minutes of that conversation, asked wow. me to change my name. And, and I said, you know, I am thinking about it, which is true. And it's just something that I have to navigate carefully when you run a business with your face on it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny because I remember when you were with us last time and you talked all about, look, I'm branded. Everything is my name. And as I've watched your journey, like that conversation has always been in my head of like, this is a business, whether or not you decide that and what you decide as part of your journey is up to you, but you have a business and a branding situation tied to it. Yep. So it's a different decision than just someone who's existing, going through life and existing and doesn't have a business and doesn't have that same yeah. challenge. I think so. That's the part of vulnerability I hate. Mm-hmm. When there are mm-hmm. things that I just can't do, or I can't think through, or feel harder because I have shared so much, and I do have this name, mm-hmm. and I do have this story tied to this company, it's far more mm-hmm. complicated. Mm-hmm. Complicated, but it's interesting that I think because you are vulnerable in so many ways that people are like, "Okay, I'll just ask the next question," and you're like. See, I didn't share that, and there's a freeze. Exactly, and mm-hmm. and so navigating that is hard. But I guess as a person who's a public speaker and all of those things, like you get to control that narrative to a certain yeah, extent. To an extent, I think it allows me to have a lot of grace for people who don't want to come out at work, mm-hmm. who have no interest in being who they right. are, being their authentic selves at work. And I just have so much respect and space for that. I think there's this factor of people who think that because you're queer, you have to be like the loudest queer person in every space. And mm-hmm. I am of the belief that like, if you don't feel safe, you can hold whatever secrets to your chest that you want. You don't owe anyone else vulnerability. You don't owe anyone mm-hmm. access to you. Right, right. And you need to feel safe. And honoring that is honoring your own authenticity as well. Exactly. Exactly. It's like when people knock on your door. My girlfriend mm-hmm. thinks you have to answer the door. And I'm like, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. You <laughs> yeah. touched my door. That's the end of our relationship. I don't have to answer it for you. Mm-hmm. I don't have to take anything from you. If I wasn't expecting you, I'm not answering it. Period. I've watched enough 2020. I know. I don't want to be the friendly person that everyone loves, right? Like I'm not finding out what's behind that door, but she thinks because they knocked you have to answer. And I think that's Mm -mm. the thing is like, it's like, if you identify in some different way, if you are unique or special in a space, people think that they owe, you owe them transparency or something. It's just not real. No, and I'm going to, I need to send you the link to the Etsy sign I have that says no solicitation, don't ring the bell, don't make it weird. And when that thing works, <laughs> I watch people walk up to my door. I'm like, don't do it, don't do it. And then they walk away. I'm like, yes, the sign for the win. They're like, do not knock. And when they do, I'm like, sign. Don't make it weird. Well, also so many people work from home. It's just so rude to knock at any time, right? It's just, we're all on the same page with this. I don't want whatever you're bringing to my door, probably. So one of my favorite lines in the book was that poorly timed positivity is the worst. <laughs> like someone bringing out pastries right after you eat the dry cake because that's the only dessert you thought they had. Like I laughed out loud. Like, so let's talk about positivity and outlook. 
how do you stay realistically positive and how do you point out negative without being toxic? And I think you asked that, you know, you said you, you ask questions, but like, how do you stay realistically positive and move forward in your journey? Yeah. I think ultimately I have really tried to focus on the now. Mm -hmm. What's the next best step for me right now? And to stop trying to figure out how this is all going to add up to some big roadmap or that I'm I'm just like one right turn away from screwing up my whole life. Mm -hmm. I think honestly, it's the shorter vision. I have goals. I have things I want to do, but I'm not attached to those. I'm attached to how I live today. Mm -hmm. That list, that that list on the front of your journal. Exactly. Because when I live that way, I naturally do the things that I am meant to do. Even this book, I spent a lot of time pushing this off. I spent a lot of time wondering if I should even do it. And when I, it was time, I knew. Well, it's also a very brave thing to do. It's not the book about job descriptions. That's next, probably. I'll do something nice and boring. Yeah, I mean, but that's not this. (laughs) You know, that's that. It takes a lot to put yourself out there this way. It it would be more surprising if you're like, yeah, I didn't think about it at all. I just did it. Like, that'd be weird. (laughs) One of the things that I love most about this book is the way that you speak about the kids. And the way that you kind of give a roadmap for parents and colleagues who are trying to understand folks who are trans or gay or, you know, or just different, right? There's a lot of different people out there that don't even fall into those categories, yet I think it speaks to them. And I just, I love the philosophy that you have about creating more possibility and safety for kids. Can you share with us a recent moment, maybe, where you felt the commitment you made to inclusion and comfort is worth it? Yeah. I have some friends who have a child who is transitioning. And so they are going through all of these, right? So I've been friends with them for a long time. They've read my stuff. They, right. And they've talked to me a little bit about what they're going through. And this week I got a message being like, we're booking top surgery. And it was just this like really beautiful experience for that kid. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I would like to believe that their experience realizing that their kid can have everything they want. And they got those little questions answered that they couldn't get on the internet, Mm -hmm. that they didn't feel comfortable posting on a Facebook group. Mm -hmm. They got to ask a real human and it gave them confidence to be really, really good to their kid. Or I have another one, but it's more of just like pure joy. I have a friend who I met through one of my pronoun sessions many moons ago. Mm -hmm. They were the head of their ERG and we just connected totally. And Mm -hmm. we ended up setting up a recurring meeting. And so once a month, we call it mentorship or whatever. And we meet up and we just talk about life and existing as Mm -hmm. queer people in the workplace. And Mm -hmm. last month, they wore a dress in front of their colleagues for the first time at work. And it was just so beautiful, like this little, this friendship. And then we got to talk and they were saying they were, they were going shopping with their mom later that day. Mm. And they're like, I don't think I can wear this to be around my parents. And I was like, yes, you are glowing. And I, how dare you take away your glow? How dare you take away Mm. and hide yourself? I think you should go. And I want you to remind yourself every time you doubt yourself that I am glowing. And they glowed and they went, they were glowing and they went 
in that fit. And they sent me a message the next day, letting me know that it was such a beautiful experience. And the very first words out of their mom's mouth was you look beautiful. Oh, 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 I love that. That brings me joy. Mm-hmm. And that's where it is. It's like, you've done that. And you've shown those parents, not only for the parents and the kid, the kid has an, a role model. Like you're showing these people what it looks like to be out in yourself and authentic in the working world. I mean, imagine the, the kids that I got to meet on the way. It was so cool. There were so many queer kids. I met a little kid who's just figuring out who they are. And right after I left, I might cry when I say this, but they went to their mom and they were like, I think I'm like mixed cat. Yeah. And it like opened this door for that family or the family that I visited in Texas Mm. in Houston, actually. And the kid just wanted to see my testosterone. And we sat on the floor and I opened up all my cute little leather bag that I have. And I just showed it to them. Yeah. And now, you know, they're in the process of starting and trying to navigate all of that. And their parents are super accepting. Like one of their parents is a nurse. They didn't have to ask me. Yeah, no. But I just got to sit on that floor and talk to them. And I still like I was talking to them on the day they got a driver's license. Mm. You know, I know that my existence, even if I never talk to them, their eyes light up. Liberates them. Mm -hmm. It is. Because I didn't get to see any of that. No. None. No. no queer role models for me. What I keep thinking of is the video that was going around months ago when when the new Little Mermaid came out. And these kids, when they saw the Little Mermaid, was just like them. Mm-hmm. And there's this like moment of awe that you see wash over. And I just feel like these kids and these people, when they meet you, they have that same like, oh, that's me, you know, that's not me. And that's so... It's so critical. It's so important. It's so magical. And then they get to be like, you live in a van? (laughs) We're in your own company. Where did you go? Like, they'll be like, ah, wearing a sweatshirt. And I'll be like, I've been there. That's a really cool place. Have you ever been? Right? It's really cute. (laughs) Do I have to live in a van? Because that's really small. And I don't know if I can back it up in 500 feet. Like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) You can do anything. You'd be surprised. (laughs) There you go. That's the answer. That's the answer. You can talk. Yes. You I don't like the ghost do. of Christmas past. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, on that note, I feel like we could talk to you forever. We appreciate you. We're, we are obviously we're big fans of the book, but also just of you. And thank you for being your authentic, vulnerable, awesome self. So thank, thank you. you. And thank you for joining us. Yeah. And, and for the impact you have on the world. I appreciate we it. really appreciate it. I appreciate it. both of you so much. Yeah. Thank you. This is Real Job Talk, the podcast with practical advice for mid-career professionals. Our website with all Real Job Talk related information is realjobtalk.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us your questions, topics you'd like to talk about, and Real Job Talk stories. And you may find them featured on a future episode. Use the website or email us at realjobtalk at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Real Job Talk. And on Facebook and Instagram at Real Job Talk Show. My name is Kathleen Nelson Troyer. You can find me on Twitter at Daily Cat. And on LinkedIn, I'm Kathleen Nelson Troyer. And I'm Liz Bronson. On Twitter, I'm Liz B. Consult. And on LinkedIn, I'm Liz Bronson. Real Job Talk is produced by John Mark Troyer. Our graphic artists are Lexi and Zachary Bronson. And thanks for joining us. Until next time. Mm-hmm.